This is The Guardian. Hey, Laura Murphy Oates here for the Full Story Summer Series, coming to you from Gadigal Land. I'm here with audio producer Karishma Lutria. Hey, Karishma. Hi, Laura. So, Karishma, the cities are coming back alive. Theatre is back. You recently watched a play that really stood out to you, that, that kind of touched you. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I watched a show called Blacklisted. Adab. Namaste. Hi, everyone. I'm Almitra. My name means light. I'm from Pakistan. And welcome to Blacklisted. <laughs> And it was a really interesting mix between cabaret, a stand-up comedy show, and a monologue. Mm. And it's a one-woman show headed by debut artist Almitra Mavalwala, who is of Persian descent and is Pakistani. And it's really about her journey with immigration departments around the world, but especially Canada. Before I move on, if there is anyone here from immigration tonight, your exits are there, there, and there. You cannot hold anything I say against me tonight. The play really captivated me as I sat there in the audience watching the highs and lows of her journey. I laughed, I cried, as did so many others around me. And there were points I felt really relieved because I felt seen by the content in this play. I felt I wasn't alone being a South Asian migrant in Australia. So I really wanted to sit down with Almitra and find out about what led her to create this really important piece of theatre. Coming up, Karishma and Almitra on what it means to be blacklisted. Almitra's story begins 10 years ago when she was 19 and made a deal with her mum to leave Pakistan in search of a better future in a Western country. At the time, that was Canada. One of the hardest things that I've had to hear was my mum saying, don't look back, there's no future for you here. That is probably one of the hardest things any child, any child has to hear, you know. It's um, to leave behind a place that you grew up. You know, you have so many memories. And I feel like when I leave, it feels like a betrayal. And I was reminded, I was just like, it's not. I think about the many twists and turns that got me here. How difficult decisions were made. Some out of haste, but most out of love. Love for my family, love for my career, but most importantly, love for myself. But attempting to move countries is not affordable. For migrants, we not only pay big sums of money, but we also pay heavily with our mental health. When I applied from Pakistan, you know, it's it's almost, what, 30,000 rupees mm. to apply for a visa and with no guarantee that you'll be accepted. Mm. They keep your passport for three months, um, so you can't really travel for three months. Um, and then the anxiety kills you <laughs> to be like, oh, what's going to happen? In Almitra's case, her attempts at leaving Pakistan and heading to Canada 
to join a number of her friends and family were repeatedly thwarted, six times to be exact, because she holds what she calls a unique passport. My passport says Islamic Republic of Pakistan. There's only 10 countries that I can visit without a visa. The Pakistani passport is the fourth worst passport in the world in terms of mobility. Trinidad and Tobago, the Cook Islands, Dominica, Gambia, Haiti, Micronesia, Montserrat, Niue, St Vincent and the Grenadines, Vanuatu. The passport is so restrictive that wanting to travel anywhere just comes down to a lucky draw. If an immigration officer is not convinced that you will actually go back home at the end of your trip, better luck next time. It's so anxiety-inducing that on her fourth attempt at a Canadian student visa, Almitra couldn't even open the letter from the immigration department. She asked her friend to read it for her. And um, he opened it and um, I knew. I knew it was going to be a no. But um, it's still hard to be like, everyone is moving on. What have I done wrong? Mm. Hundreds, hundreds of dollars, you know, that you keep spending without this guarantee of an acceptance. And you just sort of sit there and think, you're like, what? What do you want? In 2017, when she was 24, Almitra had given up on the idea of moving to Canada and moved to Sydney instead as an international student. During her time here, she tried to visit Canada again for a couple of weddings she had to attend. These were her fifth and sixth attempts at trying to enter the country. And I was still studying. And I was like, I haven't even graduated. Mm. I will come back. And it felt like they churned out the same letter that they sent at that point six years ago. And I was like, I just don't get it. With snow dripping on the floor till I could cry no more. I just didn't get why they won't let me in. Just bloody let me in. And it was interesting because my parents in Pakistan, my whole family that was going for the wedding got accepted. They all got their visas approved. Everyone around the world, their visas got approved. I'm like, what is going on? I wish that I could do a press conference with immigration and ask them to stop singling me out. My passport is not my personality trait. And now it's it's like the longest running joke because all my friends in Canada, I was like, please don't get married in Canada. I'm like, I can't come. I have cousins who are now engaged and um, I was like, congratulations, here's a no from me. Yeah. Like, I just like, I will not put myself through that again. And Almitra's frustration was evident in her parody of the South Park song, Blame Canada. Blame Canada With all their beady little lies And flapping heads so full of lies Blame Canada They're not even a real country anyway. Should I blame the government? Should I blame my brother? Or put the blame on my skin color? Fuck no! Blame Canada! Blame Canada! With all their hockey hullabaloo and that bit Celine too. Blame Canada! Shame on Canada! 
Almitra says after all these attempts at getting a Canadian visa, she believes she was basically blacklisted by the immigration department. They will never, never outrightly tell you, hey, you've been blacklisted. We do not want you to enter our country. Mm. And I was just feeling very, very isolated. That really just kind of tipped me over. And that's where Blacklisted, the song, the title song came about. It was a lot of anger. It was a lot of rage, a lot of frustration. But that was the first song I wrote. And that encompassed so much of what I was feeling. And I was like, okay, let's write this show. I've been pulled aside for the color of my skin. I see discrimination right up to the brim. I've been rejected, resurrected, and blacklisted, but not really. So tell me about the crux of blacklisted. What's behind the term blacklisted for you? What truly started off as like a hate letter to Canada, you know, developed into a displacement of home. Mm. You know, blacklisted for me was, it was so many things, you know, it's, it's racial profiling. It's, it's confusing. It's so confusing because, and I talk about this in my show, I've just, I've done everything. I've done everything that you have asked of me. You being I've, the Canadian government yeah, when you're applying for visas. yeah, For visas, right? So I've given you proof. I've given you proof of return. I've told you I'm literally coming there for 10 days for a wedding to see my friends and my family. In the show, you said some of the reasons the Canadian Immigration Department gave you included that you have too many ties to Canada, not enough ties to Pakistan. Pakistan is in too much political and economic unrest for them to be convinced that you will actually return home. And I mean, this is something I see happening to Pakistani students applying to come to Australia to this day, and I'm sure continues to happen to international students applying to Canada as well. So what do you make of that? It's just such a fine line. They will obviously not say it. We can throw you in a pile of no. And if you want to appeal, sure, give us more of your money to appeal. And I'm like, no, that's enough. Immigration will obviously deny all discrimination and they will never give you an answer that says, we're rejecting you because we think you have a terrorist passport. (laughs) Even here in Australia, as a migrant, it is a privilege to choose to come to another country, but we're adding... To this country too. This country is made of migrants. It's interesting that immigration is now changing their lists and they're forever just kind of updating things because they have realized Mm. that without the migrants, they don't have a workforce. The immigrants that settled all over the Western world. Can you imagine what they went through? So many came to an unknown land for this better life. And what did they end up with? A four-star Uber rating. We're not all terror and spies. Yalla forbid! We're actually nice. Show the food. 
food is hot, you don't have to beg. Just keep us away from that curried egg. You can stereotype us all you want. Make some jokes, but you better pray. Cause immigrants will make our own way. Speaking of workforces, you are in Australia now, Almitra. You're practicing your craft here. You're, you've got opportunities here. You're studying here. You know, what has that experience been like for you so far? It's been good. Here I am, a daisy girl in Australia. I moved here five years ago. If I'm being completely transparent, I came here through a process of elimination. <laughs> the soft sand and clear water of Coogee Beach, walking past the opera house, imagining performing there one day, the authentic Pakistani food in Auburn, and the vibes of Newtown. I mean, look at me. I'm a hipster. I'm very grateful for so many of the opportunities that I've been given. But even though there are opportunities in Australia, because creative industries are so underfunded and often unstable, people like Almitra, who are not yet permanent residents or PRs, just struggle to find jobs. There are so many doors that are closed because I'm an immigrant mm -hmm. and because I don't have citizenship or PR. I can't apply for grants because I'm not citizen or a PR. citizen or PR. Yeah. And, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating that I have now had to start an MBA because that is what is on the list to get my residency. Mm. Would it have been an MBA? Believe me, it will help me because I eventually want to start my own business, yeah. my own production company. But would that have been my first choice to do a master's? No. And it's interesting to me that being an artist is not enough in this country. Being it's, an artist of color is even worse. Yeah, it's, yeah, 100%. You know, Karishma, like, if in the next two years nothing comes off this citizenship, I'm done. Mm. How much, how much can you give a country mm. that doesn't recognize when they need you? How much do you give? How much money do you spend? How much time and effort do you keep spending? And for what? How and much for what emotion do you spend getting used to the way of life in another country, being away from your family and your networks and what you know? Yeah. And how many sacrifices do you give till you realize that's enough? Mm. You know, and there are parts where it scares me to not know where my future is heading in the next however many months when my visa ends and my studies end and what what then? Yeah. And everyone wants to plan for like five years ahead and I'm like, I, I don't have that privilege. I don't have that privilege for five years from now. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going to be in the next 18 months. Yes. Which is why, you know, Everyone's just like, these things take time. And I'm like, 
You don't realize that I don't have time. Mm. I have to make the opportunity for myself. And that is what I've been doing for the past five years. And it becomes like a broken cassette. Next, Almitra talks about belonging and finding home in Australia. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here with a quick note about The Guardian. As you're probably aware, Guardian Australia's journalism is editorially independent, meaning we set our own agenda. We don't have a billionaire owner, nor do we answer to shareholders, so we're free from commercial bias. And this independence matters because it means we're able to challenge the powerful and hold them to account. Unlike many news organisations, we have not put up a paywall. We chose a model that means our reporting is open to everyone and funded by our readers who can afford to pay. Every contribution, whether big or small, counts. If you're able to contribute and have a minute, head to theguardian.com forward slash support full story. We've also linked to this on the full story page. Thanks. You tell your story with a lot of authenticity and with a lot of pain and humor involved as well. But, you know, I wonder as a migrant, a creative and a woman of color in Australia's arts sector, do you often feel like we as a marginalized identity in this country are only given opportunities when we tell deeply personal stories about our journeys? The short answer is yes. And it's interesting because we want to hear these stories. But we feel like the only way we can tell these stories is if we are writing them Mm. and if we are in them. Why did I write this story? It's because I wasn't getting cast. You know, it's it's a game. And everyone's just like, oh, you've got to play the game. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to play the game. Why do I have to play the race card Mm. to get into an audition room. Mm -hmm. Why is my craft not enough? Just like, are you really telling me that people of color are just not good enough? Mm. Really? Without saying the words. Yeah, without saying the words. (laughs) No, some people do say the words. Oh, really? (laughs) mm. Have you been told it? I was told in university that I would play ethnic roles all my life. And I'm like, sorry? No, what? Mm. I was. I was told that. And it's interesting. Um, I'm like, no, I will not. I will play the lead roles. I will eventually get there. Mm. Um, And I will be enough. One of the things you spoke about in the play was that you basically code switch when you audition. Like when I moved here. I had to train myself to speak differently so I could level the playing field when I auditioned. I did this so I wouldn't sound different when I spoke as compared to when I sang in an American accent. I sometimes get called out for saying some words with a British accent. I grew up learning British English. Why? Because we, Pakistan, were colonized by the British and then were driven out of our homelands. Look at that, Australia! Something we finally have in common! 
mm-hmm. your accent changes a little bit. And yep. I know that when I started in the media industry, in the broadcast industry, mm-hmm. I tried to change my voice to fit the typical Australian voice to get opportunities. I mean, mm. tell me about your experience with code switching in Australia. <sighs> it's really funny because <laughs> when I go back to Pakistan and they're just like, oh, you sound real Aussie. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, you clearly haven't heard the Aussies speak. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> um, it's I've been here five and a half years and I've immersed myself in this culture. And obviously you pick up Aussie inflections and sometimes it's weird, <laughs> you know. I I sometimes I hear it, and I was like, ugh, <laughs> why did I do that? <laughs> I was like, why, why? I'm like, why? I swear it wasn't intentional. <laughs> I know it's just, but that whole concept of just like I just want to fit in, mm. but also like uh, I don't need to. You know, and it, and it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of courage to admit that. Mm. And that's what big cities was. Like a fish out of water Like a bird that's lost its wings I've traveled many places Meeting unfamiliar faces Like a drop in the ocean Made to feel so, so small Like a trip with no destination Living life on a curbstone There's a road that leads me back home Big cities tend to make you feel small Big, big cities tend to I'm a glove that doesn't fit and that's more than I'd like to admit. That admission is is very hard. Mm. Big cities made me cry. Yeah, look, big cities made me cry. <laughs> like, I had to cry. About it. I had to cry every night. It's just, it hits you so much. And it's a song that talks about isolation and not fitting in. Mm. And these are very big themes mm-hmm. as a migrant, you know, um, you would know. Yeah. It was, it was, it's, and it still is today. Very hard singing that song and not, not having all the emotions run through you, remembering why you wrote it. And I listened to that song at a time when, you know, speaking of visas and the bureaucracy of getting visas as well. I don't know when I can go back home and smell the like salty, thick, smoggy air of Mumbai or eat the street food like you've sang about. And the food. 
Everything is dripped in three gallons of oil and paraded in spice. The street food is where it's at. No one questions the hygiene of how things are made. <laughs> or see my friend's faces, or see my nani's face even. Nani's home was a place where memories were made and grandkids were spoiled. She would feed us, take care of us, and her home always smelt of agarbatti. And it's just like, it was so difficult, but at the same time, it was such a sense of release listening to that song because I was like, somebody else feels like how I feel. And at least I'm not alone. That to me is why I do theater. You know, it is important. And it is, it's community. It brings people together. Your show talks a lot about home and belonging, like we've spoken about now. Now that we are, you know, we've been in Australia for five, six years, you and I, we're in this transitory space where we don't know what exactly our identities are, what exactly our accents are. We don't fit in here. We don't fit in back home anymore either. What was it? ABCD? Yeah, Australian-born confused Daisy or South Asian. Yeah, yes. Australian-born, confused Daisy. Not born here, but still confused. <laughs> yes, and that is part of our confusion because we weren't born here and we're just yeah. like, how do we navigate this space? This space, And how do we, how do we feel comfortable mm. with taking up space? What is home to you, Amitra? To me, that is people. To me, that is chai on a rooftop phone calls with mums, um, language. Mm. It's so hard because the second I slip into language, it's like, there it is. That's home. But yeah, at this point in my life, Pakistan is home. Mm. And I don't think, and I say this in my show, it's like, I don't think I can call Australia home yet. Mm. Six years on and it's like, why not? I'm like, I just, I can't tell you. Hmm. And I think part of me doesn't want to say it out loud. Because once you say it out loud, it's it's there. Yeah. And that's where the betrayal comes in. What is home to you? I don't think I have exploded as deeply as you have. And I think that's why watching your show for me was so... um validating but also like raise so many questions that I still need to take time out to grapple with myself yeah but I definitely feel like home is in the senses it's the smells it's the feelings it's the conversations it's the I don't know just the feeling of feeling stable for a little bit yeah and when you're a migrant that feeling of stability sometimes or many times just doesn't come for a very long time. If you had a message for anyone going through what you went through or are going through, what would you say to them? I would say find home in whatever you think that is. Home is different to everyone.
You're not alone. And um, to anyone listening, just hang in there is what I can say. Home is where the heart is. I packed my bags, departed, part impulse, part push, part pull, hoping to make my heart full. Tell my friends and my family, the only road I need is the one that leads me to the streets of my home. Mitra Mavalvala for her time. This episode was produced by Karish Lusria, Ellen Levita, and Alison Chan. Sound design and mixing by Daniel Simo. The supervising producer for the Full Story Summer Series is Ellen Levita. The executive producer of this episode is Gabrielle Jackson. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. 